welcome back to the Birth Food Podcast with me, your host, Annie. Joining us today, we have Stacey Bryan. Stacey is the Vice President of the British Caribbean Doctors and Dentist Network and works closely with the African and Caribbean Medical Mentors and the Melanin Medics. She has been a doctor for 12 years and has aspirations to subspecialize in oncology and gynecology, specializing in women's cancers. Stacey, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So before we get into this, here on the verse booth, we like to kick things off with an icebreaker question. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go for it. Great. So if you could choose one shop <laughs> to buy clothing for the rest of your life, where would it be and why? Oh gosh, where would it be and why? Wow. <laughs> um <laughs> I feel like just saying something like Primark because it's just, you know, <laughs> it's cool, it's within budget. I, you know, there's different things you can pick up for your everyday essentials. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's fine with me. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd say that. You can even get like the um the home stuff and the kids' clothes and like... That's you know, it, exactly. <laughs> the exactly. Nothing fancy. Presents. <laughs> exactly <laughs> all in budget great all in budget that's it <laughs> so Stacey can you give us a little bit more of an introduction in terms of who you are and mm-hmm. you know essentially what you do as well yeah sure um so yeah I have trained as an obstetrician and gynecologist um still in training um so I've done that for six years now and I'm part of what they call the east of England deanery so that's the areas where we rotate around all of our training um I've recently been out of that training for the past four years um and that's to kind of concentrate on research so you mentioned that I would like to kind of specialize in women's cancers and the surgical treatment of women's cancers in particular um but before doing that I've had some taken some time out to um do a degree and an MD and which is a doctorate of medicine and my research is focusing on uh, cervical cancer in particular and the links with HPV and whether we can detect HPV from a blood test Um, and I've also sort of had taken some time out to have some surgical experience at the Royal Marsden Hospital Um, but I'll be going back into training in August so a few weeks time to do my general obstetrics and gynaecology which is basically working on the labour ward management of um, women who are pregnant of course um, antenatally um, during delivery and and also postnatally as well. Great wow sounds amazing. So what would what would you say you love most about your role as a you know in gynae and obstetrics? New gynae. Um I'm the type of person that likes a lot of variety and I guess um labor ward or obstetrics provides a lot of variety. Yeah. Um of course delivering babies is just like amazing, amazing. You never you you will always feel that joy um during that time with the family, um once the baby's been delivered, like that that can never go away you can never get used to it so to speak um so yeah so I do I do really enjoy that aspect to it I feel like that's you know we all say we go into medicine to help people um and I think obstetrics in particular really shows that the rewarding in terms of helping um you're seeing a woman through her pregnancy you're making sure everything is going okay with both her and her baby and then seeing you know the end product of this healthy baby um with their Mm. parents and you know it's that that's the most rewarding thing for me in seeing that 
um so yeah that's what that's what I enjoy in, in terms yeah. of the gynecology side because ours yeah. is kind of split split specialty um I do like operating quite a lot and again from the side of specializing in cancers in particular you know the fact that I know that we can detect a cancer we can operate on it we can potentially cure this patient again it all just feeds into that feeling of that role and that feeling of actually helping someone and increasing and improving their care amazing so today we're going to be talking a lot about you know fibroids you know mm. that's something that's quite common in amongst our black women in the black community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can you kind of talk to us about what fibroids is yeah sure um so fibroids is essentially an overgrowth of the muscular layer of the womb um, it's a non-cancerous overgrowth of the muscular layer of the womb. Um, I might say uterus, I might say womb interchangeably. It all means the same thing, basically. Um, so the womb has three layers to it. So you've got the inner layer, um, which is what we call the endometrium. This is where you have your bleeding from. And um, when a woman has a period every month, this is the lining that is shed every month. You've got the middle layer, which is the myometrium, which is the muscular layer, which is where your fibroids arise from. And then you've got the outer layer, um, which is basically just the outer covering the outside of, of, of the uterus, basically. Um, so, yeah, so that's where de- um, fibroids develop from. It said that about one in three women will develop fibroids and it's usually between the ages of 30 and 50. As you rightly said, um, in black women, however, we're three times more likely to develop fibroids in our lifetime than any other um, race. Studies show that about 6% of the 30 um, have had fibroid in their, in their lifetime or by the age of 35. So it's certainly something that affects us um, a lot. Um, it is, I know a lot of people sort of ask, how do we get them? What can we do to prevent them? It's, it's they, if there's not much evidence in the, out there in the literature as to how we get them, why does it develop? Is it a genetic thing? What goes on? but we know it's certainly responsive to estrogen. Um, So estrogen being a female hormone, if you have high levels of estrogen, the the fibroids tend to grow. Um, And also if you have low levels of estrogen, i.e. the menopause, when the periods are stopped, we find that fibroids tend to shrink. So it does respond to to estrogen. It has some responses to estrogen. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're not quite sure about the origins as to why it comes across. Why is it affecting black people in particular? Yeah. I mean, what are some of the symptoms to look out for? Like, yeah, what are some of the symptoms that I can look out for if I potentially had fibroids instance? Mm. Um, So a lot of the time they're completely asymptomatic, which means that there's no symptoms whatsoever. Um, You only know about it um, most of the time if you've gone for a scan for something else, some other gynecological problem, or a lot of the time in pregnancy, because that's the main time when you would have an ultrasound scan and anyone would actually have a look into the womb. Um, So a lot of the time there's no symptoms whatsoever. They're discovered on an ultrasound scan, incidentally. Um, If they are kind of larger fibroids, so they can be quite small fibroids, they can be multiple, so a number of them, and they could be larger fibroids. So the larger fibroids tend to be the ones that give um, the symptoms or the ones where you have multiple fibroids. And one of the common symptoms is heavy periods, quite heavy, um, prolonged and painful periods. Um, And a lot of women I know do have these heavy periods and they suspect that it's just normal and they get on with it every month. It may be for the month that they're out of action for a bit 
and um, they can't tend to get they aren't able to go outside or go very far because they're changing pads tampons etc quite regularly um, so that might be the first signs of actually there's a fibroid um, and that's what's causing the, the heavy period another one but again maybe um, with the much larger fibroids is a pressure effect so number one can give you back pain if it's quite large um, and also pressure effect on the bladder so causing you to feel like you need to go to the toilet quite often um, for example or even sometimes not being able to pass urine because it's it's been so large and blocking off the bladder mm. um, because of the heavy periods the heavy bleeding um, you're losing a lot of blood you become anemic you can become anemic so one of the symptoms may be quite tired particularly during or, or soon after your your period and of course the bloated look so often women you know we'll be told they look pregnant they look bloated you try and yeah. exercise you try and eat healthily brightly and you just can't shift can't seem to shift the stomach um, and, and that might be another sign that maybe even the only sign that there's, there's possibly a fibroid. Wow. Is it like hereditary, would you say? Like if my mum had it or my auntie had it or my grandma or something like that, mm. is it then likely that as a child or my children, etc., will could potentially get it? Mm. So, yeah, so some studies have suggested that it, it can go in families, it can run in families. Now, whether that truly runs in family families or is it because of that ethnic link that we're more likely to get it um, again it's difficult to say the studies just aren't out there uh, you know enough to kind of unpick um, exactly what it's linked to I think it's multifactorial um, but yes there's some some have shown that um, it can it can be in families obviously be um, run in families right so for example if someone had it in their family would you say that they could potentially like ask for scans or perhaps checks are there checks that can be done to kind of sure. check whether so, someone has it at a young age or something yeah no sure so unfortunately on the nhs you wouldn't be able to get a scan at the moment you wouldn't be able to get a scan by just saying oh my mum has fibroids i want to see if i've got them um unless you're having symptoms as i said so with the heavy periods the back pain problems with urine um then you could suggest look i'm having a heavy periods anyway as part of looking for reasons for heavy periods would be an ultrasound scan a scan would be an ultrasound scan is what we're talking about um you'd be referred for an ultrasound scan and it may be through that that a fibroid is picked up um but on its own just the the sort of worry or wanting to know unfortunately on the nhs we wouldn't you wouldn't be able to to um, get a scan unless you have symptoms and again because a lot of the fibroids are symptomless anyway um, so you'd be hard pushed to, to, to get a scan, unfortunately, on the NHS for that. Um, so just going back to what you said about some of the causes, I think you said something mm. about um, estrogen. Um, yeah. Do we know what actually causes fibroids in itself and is it avoidable to some extent? Mm. Um, so, yeah, again, it's difficult. It's difficult to say it's something to do with because the 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 room the middle layer of the room as i said is more of a muscular layer so it must it, it, it's something to do with the way in which that muscular layer grows and it must be something within the cells and the growth regulation within the cells which means that it grows a bit more than usual um, and that's basically what a fibroid is it's just kind of a, a roundish kind of collection of that muscular cells that sits within the womb um, so yeah why that happens Again, it's difficult to say, um, but it is known that, yes, oestrogen can increase that process 
um, happen in it. Estrogen is almost like a growth type of um, hormone, promotes um, growth. Um, so it, yeah, the reaction to the fibroid is that it grows in response to, to estrogen. Okay, so if someone wanted to get pregnant, um, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are really like concerned about fibroids and pregnancy. Um, yeah. Is there any difficulty with conceiving? Sure. So largely, short answer, no. Um, again, papers have looked at subfertility, infertility with fibroids and largely, um, you know, people do get pregnant with fibroids and everything seems to be fine. There are other kind of complications that we'll probably get into a little bit later. Um, but um, if falling pregnant seems to be um, seems to be fine. Caveat to that is it does also depend on where the fibroid is. Um, so as I said, the, the fibroid does originate from the inner, from the middle lining of the womb, but it can grow into the inner lining or into the endometrium. Mm -hmm. It can stay within the muscle layer or it can grow outside of the womb itself. So if the ones that are outside or within the muscle itself shouldn't cause any problems in terms of falling pregnant. What we worry about are the ones that are going into the cavity of the womb. So if they're large enough, or they're causing enough of an obstruction, then yes, there may be issues with actual implantation um, of an embryo into the womb, um, you know, and then you may have some issues with, for example, miscarriages. Um, and in those situations, the, the, you have the specialist fertility clinics who will do the scans, possibly put a camera into the womb to have a look, and then they can remove the fibroid at that at that time um, and hopefully help to then encourage implantation of an embryo and therefore fall in pregnant so largely no issues but if there is a large enough fibroid that's indenting into the cavity of the womb then there may be some issues with, with falling pregnant okay so if someone um, was to have a fibroid remove and, mm -hmm. they, and they were pregnant is that something that's quite dangerous could it affect the baby or um, so having had the surgery before and um, I was just having a, a few look at a few um, stats as well so I haven't had the surgery before where the fibroid's been removed and again it depends on how the fibroid's been removed but largely about 50-60% of women will fall pregnant after a fibroid has been removed um, and the removal of the fibroid itself if the procedure has gone straight forward then in itself no that shouldn't cause any problems for the then pregnancy you would expect the pregnancy to continue um, as it should do. There have been all sorts of kind of um, trials and studies looking at if you remove the fibroid that's possibly inside the womb and it's opened up the cavity does it make the womb a little bit weaker um, which means that you know during the time of later pregnancy is there a possibility of, of any um, of the womb kind of opening up or any scars on the womb any healing opening up but I think the general consensus has been that this is very if, if it were to happen or the risk of this is very very minimal um, largely if the fibroids have been removed, everything's healed fine, everything's gone smoothly with the procedure and the operation, then um, the pregnancy itself you would expect to go um, normally. Okay, great. So if someone has um, a large fibroid and it's growing alongside the baby, um, mm -hmm. would you, what would most healthcare professionals advise? Would they advise to have the fibroid removed? Or like you said, depending on where it is, um, it might not be a case where they need to remove it at that time. I don't know. What, what, yeah. would you, what, what are your yeah. thoughts about that? Uh, sure. So once, you, once you've fallen pregnant and there's a fibroid present, um, 
the effect of the fibroid is dependent on which trimester you're in. So it seems that the first trimester, so the first half of the pregnancy, or first third of the pregnancy, I should say, um, where you have your estrogen levels are slightly higher than, than before, um, and the balance is different or more, or certainly higher than before, then that's the risk where the fibroid will tend to grow bigger. Um, what they found is in the second part or, or the sort of second trimester and third trimester, we actually find that the fibroids either stay the same or some even get smaller. Um, and that's to do with kind of the balancing out of the hormones um, and not being under so much control of estrogen. So it doesn't tend to grow completely throughout the pregnancy itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first half. So if you get past the first trimester with a little bit of growth of the fibroid, then the, again, the rest of the pregnancy in within the pregnancy itself um, should be fine. There are some um, talks about, you know, possibly doing, well, you'd have your, your 12-week scan anyway and your 20-week scan anyway, so then you would monitor the size of the fibroid at that point. And if there are any concerns about the fibroid indenting, preventing growth, et cetera, then your obstetrician or team okay. should then advise further scans if necessary. But again, majority of the time, the fibroid tends to stay the same size anyway. Um, and again, the pregnancy should progress um, as, as usual. Great. Um, and in terms of surgery, to have fibroids removed, are there different types of surgery? I've heard a little bit about keyhole surgery. I don't know what that mm-hmm. is, but mm-hmm. are there different types of surgeries and what kind of, what different types and what, you know, what constitutes these different types as well? Mm, yeah. Um, so the two main types of surgery are a keyhole, as you said, or laparoscopic surgery. Um, and then there's the open surgery, traditional opening up the tummy and removing the fibroid. Um, with the keyhole surgery, what that involves is they put a small camera into the belly button um, and they're able to kind of blow up the tummy with gas and you're able to, without making a big cut, um, remove the fibroid in that fashion. It tends to be reserved for fibroids that are on the outside of the womb or produce, protruding into the outside of the womb. Um, just because of the nature of the fact when you're looking in the tummy, you're looking into the uterus from the outside, not from inside the cavity itself. So you would um, reserve the role for um, removal of fibroids or what we call myomectomy um, for fibroids that are growing on the outside of the womb and that are causing problems from that that point of view. Um, Likewise, if you feel that the fibroid's too big to be removed um, via laparoscopy or via keyhole surgery, then um, the tummy will be opened and the fibroids removed in, in that fashion is, in, instead and again it's the it's the fibroids that are more so on the outside of the womb that may be causing problems and I'm thinking in terms of the heavy periods etc so this is outside of pregnancy and um, dealing with yeah. within pregnancy itself it's very 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 rare um, that we operate on fibroids in pregnancy um, hardly ever basically unless it's really causing kind of like um, you know, a really bad infection where the fibroids start to die away and the patient's not getting better is a matter of kind of life or death, essentially. Um, then you would go in and, and again, the same principle in terms of removing the fibroid if it's on the outside of the womb. But majority of the time, we, we don't operate at, on fibroids um, whilst the woman is pregnant. Okay. Is that because it could ha- cause harm to the baby or is that because... Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't do in pregnancy because any any kind of surgery in, in, in pregnancy, there's always that risk of um, harm to baby, miscarriage, preterm yes. labour, those sorts of things. So unless it's really absolutely necessary, you wouldn't operate on a fibroid um, yeah. in pregnancy. So in that case, would the woman have an opportunity to have the fibroid removed after the pregnancy then? 
yeah yeah um but again after pregnancy when the hormone levels decrease you find that the fibroid shrinks naturally anyway um so they may not even need surgery but again yes after your six weeks or so or even a bit longer postpartum period um then if it's still there it's still a problem then they'd have the the discussion about whether the fibroid needs to be removed for the next pregnancy but again if they've gone through a pregnancy with a fibroid then most likely they can go through another one perfectly fine um you know uh, another pregnancy with that fibroid still there so it's only really if it's causing problems or causing difficulties in falling pregnant that you would you'd want to remove it okay can a fibroid grow in any other area apart from the uterus or is it mainly the uterus it's mainly the uterus it's mainly the uterus there are some that grow in sort of the ligaments next to the uterus but essentially it's all part of the uterus it's all you know all within there so yeah mainly mainly within the uterus okay great um and i've heard a lot of things about uh fibroids being linked to relaxers you know Mm. is that true is there evidence to support that Mm, yeah. yeah so i sort of had a look at this as well and it seems like it's papers that are coming from america and what they suggest is the nature of relaxes in itself is that it, it the burning of the scalp or the process of the that occurs of the chemical reaction on, on the scalp means that you're more likely to absorb any chemicals through the scalp and into the bloodstream according to this paper and um According to the paper, one of the chemicals that is absorbed actually mimics or kind of increases estrogen levels. So I guess from that point of view, if you're increasing your estrogen level, then yes, any fibroid that is there um, may potentially grow and become more prominent. Um, whether it's a cause itself of fibroids, maybe a different a different story. I think there's not so much in, in the literature in terms of whether it's a cause. But yes, there's a suggestion from an American study that the relaxers, whatever you absorb from the relaxers, can yeah. sort of in, change your estrogen levels. Wow. So best to avoid it if we can then. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any maybe like drugs to avoid if you have fibroids is there anything i should be avoid taking maybe like can i take am i okay to take a paracetamol and ibuprofen or yes yeah no absolutely yeah all of those you're okay to take um the only thing we to to be cautious of is just estrogen pills um so estrogen pills you may be asked to take because of um the contraception for example um i'm talking estrogen pure on its own um that used to be the case back in the day, you know, a few years back that it, that it would, you know, you'd be given estrogen and only tablets to kind of regulate your cycle um, or, you know, more so for in terms of HRT preparations. But actually nowadays you have combined pills. So it's estrogen and progesterone. So the progesterone almost balances out or levels out the effect of the estrogen. Yeah. Um, so you can take it as terms of a contraceptive, but also be aware that the estrogen in it may affect the fibroid. It, although again, what studies recently are suggesting is that the combined pill um, that you'd use for contraception can be can be used in fibroids. And in fact, for women who have severely heavy periods due to fibroids, um, you may be suggested to go on the pill just so you can regulate your period, lighten the okay. period up a little bit. So yeah, so certainly um, just estrogen containing products, um, you'd be worried about kind of aggravating um, the, the fibroid. Okay. So in essence, I mean, what sort of, I'm just, I'm just speaking as a lay person, what sort of yeah. contraceptions, what does a, what sort of contraceptions would you 
say would work better i know you said combined pool but is that mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, no, sure. So, um, so you've got the different types of, of pills as well. So you can have the combined oral contraceptive pills, most of these, um, which is the most common pill because of the balance of the both hormones that we naturally have in our body. But you can also have progesterone only pills or the mini pills, another thing that it may be called. Um, and actually progesterone itself helps to kind of, um, it, it helps kind of keeping the lining of the womb kind of thinned out or not so much in heavy bleeding. Although some women have spotting and heavy bleeding first and then eventually um, it, it, it lightens kind of your periods. Um, in the same respect, the implant is a progesterone kind of based um, contraceptive. So again, that same factor in terms of um, keeping lining of the womb thin. And of course there's the Mirena coil. So that's the, the small coil that has um, progesterone coated around it. And that's inserted in the, into the womb directly into the cavity and again it just acts to kind of thin out or, or, or lighten and so and again some women just don't have any periods at all with with the coil the only issue with the coil in the presence of a fibroid is that if the fibroid is changing the cavity or distorting the cavity it may not fit so well or it might may migrate or it may even be forced out because it's just not fitting correctly into the womb because of the shape of the womb due to okay. the fibroid so that's the only issue wow great um and in terms of like foods are there any foods that someone could avoid is it red meats or what what can my what kind of foods because i'm african so we eat a lot of red meat, we love <laughs> yeah, red meat. yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah yeah so yeah. would you say we should avoid that and maybe go on a pescatarian or i don't know what do you think <laughs> um uh, again i think some studies have shown that things like red meat um dairy alcohol these kind of all change your hormone levels um and therefore maybe you know increase your your risk to it or certainly um may increase the the size of the of the um of the fibroid if there is one present um things like vitamin d deficiency is another one yeah. so having your vitamin d supplementation mm -hmm. actually may help and it may stop that or sort of alter that process of the overgrowth um, of the muscle that we were talking about so it may just alter that process um, but again largely this is just you know small studies that are suggesting that there's possibly a link but there's nothing hard or fast to say don't eat this don't do that and I think okay. again fibroids are so multifactorial that yes you may cut out your red meat you may cut something else up but actually you know it's something else that's driving the fibroid for example a high BMI um, increases estrogen levels so fat tissue can convert um, a lot of the hormones into estrogen. Um, so you may be cutting out one thing, but actually it's something else that's driving that process. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it's not just a hard or fast, don't eat this, don't eat that. Um, I know some people have quite a bit of, um, you know, like soy based diets, but soy is kind of estrogen as well, contains a sort of more natural estrogen. So again, things like that to watch out for. Okay. And if someone has it, just going back to what we just spoke about with the removal mm. of fibroids, if someone has um, fibroids removed, mm. can it grow back again? It can. It can, yes. Yeah. So the nature of it, it can grow back again. Um, 
not only that, but for example, if there was, as I said, fibroids, you can have not just one, you can have multiple fibroids within the womb and they just may be small and they may be not big enough to be detected on an ultrasound scan. So whilst you may have removed the biggest one that was there at that time and causing the problem, um, you may still have smaller ones that have the propensity to grow if, you know, the un any underlying, um, you know, issues haven't been addressed. So yes, unfortunately, it can come back and it may be that it's because there are smaller ones that weren't detected are now starting mm. to grow. Why, why do you think it's really common in the black community as opposed to you know the white community yeah it's but. difficult it's, it's it's very difficult to say very very difficult to say whether it's just the makeup um the genetic makeup whether it's mm -hmm. the muscular chart is it our diet that we're we're eating like it's, it's very difficult to try and really unpick without having those studies um to say that yes it's this or yes it's that a lot of it is just what we call anecdotal so people reporting and suggesting yeah. and you know see seeing that there is some sort of association but there's no real kind of detail or study looking into well why um is it this is it that is it this yeah. molecule is it that have we got higher estrogens naturally or you know have there is there a genetic predisposition is there you know the, the, the data unfortunately is just not out there to tell us why exactly okay um and how big can they grow because i heard they could grow the size of a normal i mean a full-term yeah. baby so yes is that true? they can yeah wow. they can they can absolutely grow as big as that um yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly oh is that it quite life look like it's not if in the sense of um if it's there on its own it's not causing any problems the women's periods are you know normal and again they can be um so it's not necessarily life-threatening from that aspect if they are bleeding very heavily from it um, and they're perhaps, you know, they've got so used to being anemic, for example, or yeah. to having these bleeds that they're not really seeking any help about it. Um, then, yes, you can find women that are very, very anemic, always tired. They've just put it down to, oh, I'm doing too much. I'm busy yeah. and this and that. Um, so, yes, from that point of view, we find very, very anemic women that will need blood transfusion and, of course, removing that fibroid. Mm. Um, the other thing is with the larger ones that we worry about, and particularly if they grow larger in a short period of time, um, is, is it cancerous transformation? Uh, and I only mention this because of my specialty that I want to go into is cancer. Again, a lot of the time fibroids are non-cancerous. The majority of the time, it's just a very small percentage um, have grown to can turn into a cancer, particularly if you've noticed a, quite a rapid growth okay. um, over a few weeks or over a few months. Um, so that's another another kind of reason that why you'd be worried. Okay. And um, so if someone's pregnant, what advice would you give to them? Because obviously it can be quite worrying at that time. So mm -hmm. what advice would you give to someone who is pregnant and maybe just recently found out on a scan that there's fibroid growing um, alongside the baby? Alongside, yeah. Um, I would say not to worry too much. Um, you will be monitored in pregnancy anyway. This is the, the kind of period of time where as us as females are, are, are closely monitored. Um, the, as I was saying, the first part of the pregnancy, yes, there is that risk of the fibroid growing, but once you've got past that first part, largely the fibroid stays the same, it stays okay. stable, um, and it doesn't cause you any problems. Um, 
you know and you can you know if the, if the consultants are really worried about it you can have further scans just to see how the baby is growing um i guess i'll add in here the only sort of times when it causes problems is if the fibroid is close to the cervix so the the outlet of the womb um and we think it's going to actually obstruct labor um, and you're not going to be able to, to actually deliver because the cervix won't open to, to allow for a vaginal birth, then there may be a discussion about a cesarean section, for example. Okay. Um, but also after the delivery as well, um, the womb doesn't contract as well with a fibroid, particularly a larger fibroid. So there is a risk of bleeding after delivery or placenta not being delivered and needing to be removed um, during surgery or in theatre should I say um so those sorts of things to, to that that may be um you may be told about um or things to look out for and in those situations we would if they're concerned enough um the doctor should advise about delivering on a on a high risk unit or a label okay. essentially rather than a midwifery unit um and they do things like you know putting iv lines in so cannulas in making sure yeah. blood's available and advising you about drugs that you can have to help the wound to contract and to help to minimize blood loss yes. um so those are the things but again those are things that we kind of the healthcare professionals know that we need to prepare for and we often yes. prepare for and have in place Okay. you as a female with a fibroid in pregnancy so far as your 12 20 week scans are fine we would yeah. expect that the fibroid will stay stable and the pregnancy should you know continue as as normal okay so sh should should there be any worry or concern about a hysterectomy or anything along those lines happening then okay yeah no, certainly not. Certainly not during the um, the pregnancy itself. If the pregnancy is going on as it should do, um, delivery. If and and this is a risk for all deliveries where we're worried about massive bleeding. Yes, of course, there's always a risk of um, bleeding so heavily that in a life, you know, it becomes a life or death situation. And we have to make a decision as to whether we do a hysterectomy, which is removal of the womb to save mum's life. So this is obviously once baby has been born, has delivered, if yeah. we're unable to control bleeding, through a number of channels that we we do that we try a number of drugs that we do we use yeah. um a number of special devices that we can put inside the womb to help it to contract if all of that fails and it is literally a matter of life or death we're not able to give enough blood and this, this woman is bleeding quite a lot then that's when they would be thinking about a decision for a hysterectomy um, okay. as i said largely women with fibroids in pregnancy about 80 percent go on to have a normal vaginal delivery Okay. not requiring a cesarean section maybe a bit of bleeding but hardly ever needing to go down the route of a hysterectomy okay great and i think you said that the age range is between 30 and 50 is that correct mm, yeah, so, yeah, yeah i mean at that age what kind of are there different symptoms depending on the age you're at if you're younger are you more likely to experience slightly different symptoms to if you're within the age bracket you've specified because I wouldn't yes. want to think that I could only have, or only have fibroids if I'm 13 and someone's, I don't know, 18 and they're like, oh, I've got fibroids and I didn't realise. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I think the main thing for younger women to be aware of is your periods, basically. Knowing okay. your periods, knowing your cycle, um, tracking your periods and any deviation from either 
um, the time that they're coming on or if there's any bleeding in between or how heavy they are, in particular the flow, any deviation from that would be the first signs of, you know, what's going on here. Should I be okay. going to see a doctor about it yeah. and getting scans and things like that? As I said, the older women, um, because as they're approaching the menopause, the, the estrogen levels are lower, so they may not necessarily get more the symptoms of the heavy periods etc because the fibroids tending to be you know tending to shrink um as they're approaching the menopause the average age of menopause is about 50 51 okay. um so at that top end you tend to not necessarily have as much in the way of symptoms because the fibroids are shrinking again unless okay. you have quite a large fibroid that you've had for a few years and you have the pressure symptoms the back pain etc yeah. etc et yeah. but by then um, you probably would have known about it and would have been advised about sorting it out and offered surgery, etc. Um, okay. Great, amazing. Well, I think we've asked all the questions, mm -hmm. I mean, the common questions um, relating to fibroids. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have anything to add, maybe to share with us, something you've maybe seen in recent research or mm -hmm. something that you feel like a lot of women ask you that, you know, you maybe like to share with us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing I will add that I didn't touch upon um, just through our conversations, actually, um, for women to be aware of is that in the, the one kind of complication of a fibroid that can occur um, in pregnancy is um, what we call degeneration of the fibroid. So basically, this is, when a this is a time when the fibroid kind of gets so large that it almost outgrows the blood supply from the uterus so obviously the uterus is there trying to sustain a baby um its own blood supply and then you know this fibroid and it just so happens that the blood supply isn't enough to get towards the fibroid either because it's growing or or you know the way it's it's the the way that it's grown it kinks a vessel so that it doesn't have its blood supply so what tends to happen is it dies off or what we call ischemia or necrosis okay. and that process can be quite painful um, we call it degeneration of a fibroid and that, that process can be very painful. Um, you may wake up with sort of sudden abdominal pain. It's pinpointed to exactly over where the fibroid is. So if someone were to touch your tummy, it'd be exquisitely um, tender and painful. Um, it would require being coming into hospital and having analgesia, um, so pain relief. Um, IV fluids and having a period of monitoring. Some women I've seen have been in up to a week, unfortunately, um, being watched and kind of monitored with pain relief to try and get the, that pain under control. And it may be pain relief as simple as paracetamol, that's enough to sort it out, stepping up to things like um, codeine. Um, which again, these are these are safe to use in pregnancy with the baby. Um, some people may even need morphine. I've seen women that have needed morphine because they're in so much pain. So I think I kind of just want to get across that women who, um, whether they know they have fibroids or not, but if you've come in with you know quite severe pain, that tends to be over one side, and particularly if you know you have fibroids, actually one side that's not going away with any paracetamol or the usual um, yeah. um, pain relief that you would get to be thinking about these things and actually going into hospital saying, you know, I've got this fibroid, I'm worried, is it dying off? Is that what the pain is? And often you yeah. should be offered a scan obviously for fetal well-being anyway to monitor the baby but the scan could yeah. also see any changes of that as well um, okay. so that's the one thing to look out for um, during pregnancy when the, when the fibroid kind of dies off 
okay so it's best for me to go straight to A&E as opposed to exactly well yeah to yeah well yeah actually if you're in that severe pain I would say A&E and then they'll kind of do a quick check over and if they feel that you know you'd have to go to your maternity unit or labour ward then yes that's where they would refer you refer you on to brilliant so we're coming to an end now um Mm -hmm. if people want to connect with you or perhaps you know get to know you a bit more get to know a bit more about what you do where can we find you yeah so you can find me on instagram at stacy j brian so s-t-a-c-e-y-j-b-r-y-a-n on instagram so feel free to connect from that point of view um and also if anyone would like to email me i'm at sjbryan at doctors.org.uk so feel free to email me great well it was so lovely having you on today Stacey like I feel like I've known I know so much now I can go and be like oh yeah (laughs) but yeah it was such a pleasure having you today and yeah we look forward to having you back soon maybe talk about some other uh, reproductive health um, issues absolutely it was great being on it thank you very much